I won't repeat everything. I'm trusting if you're a bit short short of hearing, I'm sorry. Come to the meeting afterwards. We're going to have feedback on our revisioning process. You had that insert about various options. They just form sort of big picture, big ballpark options that will change the sort of decisions we might make for the future. Um, They're not absolutes, but we do want your feedback on those and we're going to be running an exercise on that. Whether you are a member or not, you are most welcome to come and make, give us some feedback through the structured exercise we will have. My text for today is not the Bible reading that was read out. My text for today is this whole big blue book. So it could be a long talk. might not be a long talk, but we'll see how we go. Let's pray. Father God, thanks for your word. Thanks that it reveals your character. It reveals what you've done. It reveals what you've promised to do. It reveals the victory we have. It reveals your mission. It reveals our mission. So help us to get a grasp of these things so that we might live in a way that pleases you this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The very first hymn that I think I learnt or I knew, the one that first made an impact, Christian hymn, whether I learned it at Sunday school, whether I was taught it, I don't know, was this hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. Onward Christian Soldiers Marching as to war The cross of Jesus Like a mighty army I don't know, I can just see this in Sunday school. Teachers have got us marching around. Who's the church of God? Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. It's got a real militaristic sort of a feel to it and words. Certainly when I was growing up in the 70s, hearing that song, there was far more of a militaristic nature to the culture with um, brigades and scouts and wars not being, big wars not... And if you went back another 40, 50 years, far more militaristic style in culture. Another hymn of that sort of ilk is the hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, You Soldiers of the Cross. A very, very militaristic sort of a theme, suggesting that the church is a mighty army entrusted with a mission and off we go like, a, like crusaders or, or perhaps like a salvation army. There's a whole denomination formed around that concept that the church is a great army moving forward. It suggests military imagery and... There is military imagery in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament where we have national Israel, the people of God, with land, with kings and leaders and forming armies and going into battle. You get to the New Testament, you read passages like this, 2 Timothy 2.3, 2, 3, endure hardship like a good soldier. Ephesians 6 Put on the whole armour of God. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. You hearing this military sort of language in those verses? We have what we call the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. And people will say they are the church's marching orders. I've heard that said many times. They're the marching orders for the church. Go and make disciples of all nations. You great army, off you go. Onward Christian soldiers. 
We adopt language of mi- in mission of, we, I've heard all these, mobilisation. There's a, no, a missionary organisation called Operation Mobilisation. We have strategy. We have targets. We have campaigns. We hold crusades. We, we, not take, we confront strongholds. We have people who are on the front lines. We have a mission force. And we look for recruits for our mission activities. I have heard all of those statements used. They almost suggest an activity, certainly action and activity and direction, if not aggression, as we take on strongholds and send out the force. Yet, let me say, I find none of that language in the New Testament in regard to what the Church of God is. Let me say it again, I find none of that language in the New Testament regarding the church of God. Yes, the Bible says, endure hardship like a good soldier. It's talking about, it's using an illustration, it's talking about taking up your cross and following Jesus. At the same time it says, you're also an athlete preparing for a race. It says you're a farmer working for a crop. It's an illustration. Yes, the Bible says put on the whole armour of God so that you may take your stand because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities in the heavenly realms. It's a spiritual battle. And how do we fight this spiritual battle? Well, read through Ephesians 6, have a look at 1 Peter. We fight by standing in the faith. And all of that armour we put on secures us in the faith because we stand in Jesus. The Bible is not full of command. Here you must go and do. Most of the Bible is history and poetry, prophecy, song, letter. Most of the Bible is wrapped up in this great big story rather than directed by one big command. It's got a narrative structure. And what we need to do is find ourselves in that story if we are to understand the mission of God. And there is a battle, and there is a warrior. And the decisive moment of the battle has been fought and won. And Jesus is the divine warrior. He's the one who fights for us and he has overcome and the scriptures say he has disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them through his death on the cross. Jesus has fought through his sacrifice. You get to the end of the Bible, it's particularly strong in Revelation chapter 19, where the Lord Jesus is a rider on a white horse. I saw heaven open and standing there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. The armies of heaven follow him. His robe is dressed in blood. 
Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword to strike down the nations. And on his throne, thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is the great warrior, Jesus. There is the one who overcomes, who defeats the devil, who defeats evil, who judges and makes war in justice and truth. He fights, he leads, he wins the victory. And we fight not with sword and shield or with bomb, not with campaign and strategy and recruiting. We fight with prayer and faith as we trust in Jesus. We fight with righteousness and the word of God. Standing in the finished work of Jesus. Trusting in his almighty power. Standing in faith. Not going, not getting, not doing. Third talk on mission. And I've been trying to emphasise that mission is not something we do for God but something we are engaged in with God and there's a massive distinction. It's not something we do for God, it's something we are engaged in with God. And the great way to be on mission is to be who you are, the bride of Christ, as church, as individuals. To live holy lives and hold forth the word and let it, let it shine. And we do this as we take up the cross and follow Jesus in the way of sacrifice for the good of others. It's not our mission. It's God's mission. God is the God of mission. You know, the God of the Bible, he is personal. You read through the Bible, he is purposeful and he is goal-orientated. The God of the Bible has intentions. In fact, the whole Bible has a trajectory, a flow, a direction. Because that's what God is like. And mission belongs to our God. That is the prior reality that we need to come to grips with if we understand any sense of our mission in the world. Firstly, what is God's mission? Christopher Wright uh, a British scholar, puts it like this. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but God has a church for his mission in the world. Do you understand that? It makes a big difference, I think. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, our mission, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. He has people for his purposes, his mission. This morning I want to step through the big Bible story, which is really the story of God's mission. For some of you this will be very familiar territory. But I want to do that because if we get this right, if we understand God's mission, then we can understand how we can be with God in that mission rather than feeling like we've got to run our own ways and do for God and fix for God and do our mission. 
We start with God. That's where the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the great reality that shapes every reality. We are people of creation. It shapes every reality. God exists. God made. He created. And that shapes God's mission and our mission. You see, there is but one God, the Bible says, the maker of heavens and earth. He is Lord and this one God has spoken. He's created, he's also revealed himself into that creation so that we can know God. He purposefully created our world to be filled and he made us, humans, people, to be in that world in relationship with him, knowing him hearing his revelation. In fact, we are his bearers of God's image. We are those in creation above all that are are to manifest his glory. What is God like? Look at those made in his image. We are to share in his work. You know the story of Adam and Eve. They walk with God in the cool of the day. They're in relationship with God. They work in God's paradise garden under God. They serve and it's good. It's very good. It's glorious. What was Adam and Eve's mission? Their mission was to be with God. To serve and to rule under God, to relate with God, to relate with each other as God made them to, to bless and to enjoy and to be. And as they do that, they bring glory to God because that's what God made them for. That's Adam and Eve's mission. But they chose to abandon the mission because they wanted to pursue their own mission. They rebelled. And as they rebelled against God, so they fell from their glory. And they were cast into a world of sweat and pain and disorder and shame and separation from God and ultimately death. They're separated from the God of life. There is a fracture of the good. There is a tarnishing of the glory. There is an abandonment of the mission. And the mission was just to be and enjoy and to serve and to love and to rule. And they've abandoned it. Now, the story could have ended there with God separating, God turning away, God handing over. But God had a mission. God is committed to his mission. Everything that follows in the story of God, and we've made it up to Genesis chapter 3, the first three pages, everything that follows is an expression of God's commitment to his mission of redemption and renewal. That he will redeem his people, buy them back. That he will renew his people and indeed renew the whole of creation so that his glory shines in the world he created. And so there's this reset moment. As God chooses one man, Abram, and he calls Abram and he says, Abram, you follow me and you live by faith. And he makes great promises to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. 
He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Starts with one man and hits the reset button. Abraham's family did become a great nation. They found themselves in slavery and oppression in Egypt and God rescued them out of that and brought them as a people into relationship with himself and he gave them law, his way of living and he said to them, you be holy for I am holy. Live my way. In fact, God said, you be a kingdom of priests to bless the world. God took this nation and he led them to a land that he'd promised to give them. And he said, look, would you just live in the land and show the world what I am like? What it's like to live under my rule in my place? Will you live out the restoration and the renewal that I have promised as my people? As if the world would be able to look at Israel and say, look at God. Look at his mission. Look at what's different. Look at his glory. The difficulty thing was, instead of being an influence to the nations, which Israel was supposed to be, Israel was influenced by the nations. Israel still struggled in this fallen world of sin and rebellion. They failed to be holy. They failed to be pray, obey. They failed to be priests to the world. They failed in their mission calling. See, understand this. Israel failed in their mission. If you know the Old Testament, ask yourself the question, how did Israel fail in their mission? The answer is disobedience. The answer is failing to live by faith. The answer is ignoring the word of God. They didn't fail in their mission because they didn't take over the Assyrian Empire. They didn't fail in their mission because they failed to acquire lots of wealth. They failed in their mission because they disobeyed and they didn't live by faith. And they didn't listen. But God didn't fail, he persevered. He sent prophets and he called the people to return to him, to be in relationship with him, to be a blessing to the whole world. One of the great prophets is Isaiah. Here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 42. This is what God the Lord says, he who created heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to all those who walk on it. This is what God says, the one, one, one God of creation. I, the Lord, Israel, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles a light for the rest of the world, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I have called you, I will hold your hand so that you might shine and be a blessing to the whole world. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. 
See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. New things through you, my people, so that my glory comes back to me where it should be. To open eyes that are blind, to bless those. This, this whole sense of Israel being a blessing to the whole world as they are faithful, it, it, it's, it's in their songs, it's all through the Old Testament. So you go to Psalm 67, for the director of music, a stringed instrument song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Salah, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. Bless Israel so the whole world may know your salvation, Lord. May the people praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and you guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest and God our God will bless us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Through Israel, as they are faithful to their mission, as they declare God's praises, as they live out being the covenant people of God, the whole world's going to know and come to praise God and know the salvations of our, salvation of our God. It's a big mission. God had a mission. Israel was to be caught up in that mission as his people. They were to tell the story of what God had done how faithful he was, and of what he would do as they lived with him now in his presence, living out the story as renewed, obedient, faithful, blessing, praising people who are the light of the world. And Israel's promise problem was just pure and simple self-interest. We've got to learn from Israel. Israel had a problem with self-interest. Look at the story of the prophet Jonah, if you know that. He is sent to the Gentiles. He is sent to Assyria, to Nineveh. I don't want to go to them. I'm going to run away and go do my own thing. I don't want to go and be a blessing or a warning to the nations. Israel, rather having God's law and his purposes on their heart, they just turned it all into lots of rules and made their rule book bigger and bigger and bigger and became self-righteous. That's how they were distinguished from the nations, the more self-righteous ones who were still as wicked in their hearts as the others. The problem was self. The problem was what we call sin. It was a failure to submit to God, a failure to have compassion, a failure to embrace God's mission. But God presses on. In fact, God presses on so much he decides he's going to cross the divide. He's going to deal with this problem of rebellion and self-interest. And so God comes. Initially as a little child, a baby. God comes in flesh. Jesus was sent. Jesus was missioned, if you want to use that language. Mark Rader says, When God stepped onto earth in human form, he showed just how committed and passionate he was about his mission. God showed just how much he would give and sacrifice for his mission as he sent his one and only son. 
And Jesus shows us the way. He teaches about the kingdom. He heals diseases. He casts out demons. He forgives. He restores. He even raises the dead. He exercises rule over creation. He shows us the way, the kingdom to come. But he does more than that. He doesn't just show us the way. Jesus makes the way. He makes the way through the way, any way that could be made through the way of the cross, through the way of sacrifice and giving. God's purposes of redemption and renewal come to a climax as the Son of God dies. As the Son of God pays the price and bears the judgment for the sin of the world on behalf of the people. And then he defeats death and rises to glorious new creation life. The new man. You see, in Jesus, God's mission is completed. The battle is won. And there is restoration and renewal for all those who will put their faith in this Jesus. Jesus who was the true Israel. The one who was to be a blessing to the whole earth. In Jesus, everyone can be included. Jew and Gentile. Everyone can be a light to the world. Everyone can be a kingdom of priests and display God's glory to the nations. And Jesus says to all people, follow me. And those who follow, they are going to be caught up in the story, aren't they? Those who follow, who have become captured in God's mission, will become part of God's mission purposes. Jesus says to them, Go and make disciples of all nations. Can you see that in Christ we are caught up in God's mission? If you are in Christ, you cannot help but be caught up in God's mission. You're a new creation person. And can you see that that command that we put so much weight on, which is a good command, go and make disciples of all nations, is totally caught up in the big story. In fact, it really flows out very naturally out of the big story of restoration and renewal realised in Jesus. That command, go and make disciples of all nations, is totally dependent on Jesus' work, his death and resurrection. The command is so far subsumed under the narrative that it really ceases to be a command. It's just stating the obvious. We've got to stop treating it as the big command that we're going to disobey and start knowing our place in the story so that it just becomes an obvious statement for those caught up in God's mission. What happens after that? Well, people will start following Jesus. We say the early church, all these new age people come to new life in Christ. And as God spreads them over the world, 
as they start to live the new life and proclaim hope in Jesus and love and share with other people and suffer and be persecuted for the sake of their Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit the church grows the gospel spreads from Jerusalem to Judea and it begins its journey to the ends of the earth because that's where it's going that's where the story's heading it's the mission of God just as was promised to Abraham we get through that a bit further on in the Bible. We, we read all these letters that were written to various churches and the letters basically tell people about Jesus, what he's done, what it means. And then they call on Christians to live holy lives so that they might be ambassadors, that they might be lights in the world, showing people what God is like, speaking good news, holding forth the word of life, shining like stars. Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Just like for Israel, but renewed by the Holy Spirit, the people of God. That is us. If you are in Christ, if this is a faithful church, there are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's possession that you may declare his praises, the one who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And where are we going? Well, we go to church every Sunday. Where are we going? We get a glimpse of where we're going. It's been throughout the whole story, but we had a solid glimpse at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, the Lamb, which is Jesus who was slain for the sins of the world, the Lamb wins. Death and evil or rebellion against God that caused the fall, Satan are defeated and cast into a lake of fire. And God establishes a new heaven and a new earth full of the redeemed people of God, the new creation people. Mission complete. The passage Ron read for us, the passage we in part sung earlier, gives us a foretaste of what we're working for. There's a great multitude that no one can count. John has a vision from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. The promise to Abraham has gone to every language, every nation. And they're wearing white robes and they're holding palm branches in their hands and they're crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, Creator, and to the Lamb, His Son Jesus, who was sacrificed. I think they could have, using our language said, mission belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels standing around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures, well, they fall down on their faces on the throne and they worship this God and they say, Amen! Mission belongs to our God. 
Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen, they say. It's all about him and his glory. It's about him and his story. It's about him and his mission, which we have been caught up in. And then one of the elders said, who are these in the white robes, this great crowd? Oh, sir, you know. They are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They are the ones who have come out of the great trial. They are the ones who have taken up their cross and in face of opposition been faithful. They are the ones who have been on mission with me. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, spotless and clean without sin. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on his throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. It's poetic. It's symbolic. It's new creation language. It's end of fall and curse language. It's the end point of God's purposes for his people. Peace, restoration, redemption, fullness, life as it was made to be. Us being with God. Enjoying him, enjoying others, enjoying the new creation. Mission belongs to our God. The future belongs to our God. This world belongs to God. You belong to God. And mission is to be caught up by faith in that story that centres on the Lord Jesus, that offers blessing and hope to the world. Part of the problem we have with this mission topic is our language. Part of my motivation is to just challenge this language thing because when we use the word mission, so often we're talking about activity, we're talking about event, we're talking about a big commitment, we're talking about a going event, even if it lasts for many, many years. The big story of God is not activities, events, Jumping on 747s. It's not even a big commitment. The big story of God is wrapped around his whole purposes of renewing creation through his people who trust in his son Jesus. It's about being and shining and serving and being faithful. Being what God made us to be. Yes, there is mission for you. Yes, there is great work for you. Yes, God has prepared good works for you to walk in. Yes, there is mission. How can there not be mission for you if you are one of his children? How can there not be trials for you on that mission if you are one of his children? How can you not take up your cross and follow him if you've been called as part of that mission? The great promise is, as we sang earlier, God is with us. He will go before. 
He will never leave us. He will never fail us. God is for us. He has open arms. He will never leave us. He will never fail us. It's my great passion that you would understand, that I would understand. I can't do mission because you are on mission, brother and sister. Are you going to do it with God? Are you going to live by faith? Are you going to make those decisions that you face in light of God's greater purposes? Or are you going to think, no, God's not with me? And now you're not going to live by faith. Are you going to be like Israel and be disobedient and fail to shine the light? They're the big challenges. They're the big questions. You should be, you know... Let's have a mission series in church and I'll sit there and say, go to Africa. Oh, I don't do that. I'm scared of that. You should be far, far more scared of what I'm saying to you today. Because the challenge is to get swept up in God's mission and to be obedient today, tomorrow, to make choices in the light of that big mission. And if that takes you to Africa, praise God. And if it takes you to Cherrybrook, praise God. And if it means you spend four years looking after your, giving the best of your energies to looking after your aging parents, praise God. Because you've got to shine like light. Lights in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Let me pray. Father, help us to get a sense of your eternal purposes and your love for us that we might be swept up in your wonderful, wonderful story, your purposeful mission. And we thank you so much, Father. Those of us who know you through the Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for calling us, giving us a part to play and setting us forth that we might go and make disciples of all nations. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.